Welcome to Hamsterdam. I'm Rusty. That's Sean. We got a big week coming up. We're, we're recording this Tuesday night. This will probably hit the website Wednesday, uh, which means we are a full, uh, just about over one day away from a Thursday night throwdown in the desert. Uh, that's that's the way. I, that's the exact way I was going to describe it. Thursday night throwdown in the desert. I'm excited for it. Before we get to our appetizer, which we've already started talking about off the pot, uh, what is your initial uh, reaction? What, what's your initial? What's your thesis on how you think the game is going to go? Um, thesis on how the game's going to go. I really think that Oregon kind of. And maybe this is, you know, being me being naive and hopeful, but I really think Oregon got their groove back against Washington. Um, and I think that the bye week really, uh, I, I think that was kind of what they needed to, you know, get get a little bit more healthy, clean a few things up. And uh, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm saying Oregon's going to, Oregon's going to pull out a win. Um I'll give them. I'll give them a. Uh, uh, I'll give them a. Ten, I'll give them a. Um, give them a ten point win on this one. Ten points. Yeah, I'll, it'll be pretty close, but I, I think I think they'll they'll squeeze it out. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'll say. Uh, let's see here. I'll actually increase it a little bit. I'll go forty-one twenty-seven. Oh, aggressive! Yeah. Uh, guess what the line opened at? I was shocked that this was the line when it mm-hmm. opened. The line. Um, I'm going to say it's really close. I'm going to say it's like Oregon by three. It was a pick. Oh. Guess where the line is now. This is more believable. Uh, this is what I thought it would open at. Um, Oregon by seven. No, Arizona State by two and a half. Oh. <laughs> seven. I was, you know, I'm just rolling with that theme of getting aggressive. So. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Sean and I were discussing um, how quickly, how much faster traffic moves on the way to Eugene. Uh, during a fall Saturday because safety in numbers. And then through various stories that we won't mention since this is a public show, uh, we ended up talking about the onside kick against Oklahoma and Oregon in 2006. So we have been looking at this. We have really just, you know, deep... Our conversations clearly make sense. We go from traffic to Oklahoma onside kick. It, it all makes sense. Yeah, well, there's about 30 steps <laughs> in between that. So we end up on this one, and we're watching. Uh, okay, tell everybody what it looks like when you type in Oregon, Oklahoma. So when you go onto YouTube right now in 2015, and you type in Oregon, Oklahoma, the first thing that comes up is onside kick. And the first video that comes up is horrible call. Refs incorrectly rule duck possession on onside kick. So that's what happens when you put footage to this kick. Which, you know, is uh, their opinion and everything. So, whatever. 
So we have now been looking at that film of the fake Kurt. Uh, yeah, someone signed up with a YouTube account that mimics uh, the K3Es3Rs3Ts guy, who's awesome and puts up all these videos. I've never actually met him in person, so I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, it's this guy. But Kurt, who has been killing YouTube for years. Uh, so someone made a fake account for him. So we've been looking at this film for like 10 minutes before we came on this podcast talking about the ruling of an onside kick. From so, 2006. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have, because I have nothing else to do. Um, so I believe now we're going to have this dialogue on here. So probably just skip ahead five minutes if you really yeah. just want to miss this whole thing, which is totally fine. <laughs> So, this is 2006. Dennis Dixon was still pretty much a basket case at this point, pre-Chip Kelly. Patrick Chung was still dominating. Uh, Matthew Harper was at safety. It was a great time. Um, Matthew Harper, soon to be uh, the game-clinching interception win over USC. Uh, So, we're looking at this film right now. It looks like so. One of the one of the tricks that people do on onside kicks is that when the kicker first makes contact with the ball, they'll have it hit the ground so that the person on the receiving end can't call for a fair catch or anything. Right. Pretty basic. That's why uh, in like every form of football, they have like one guy in the back who's supposed to catch it. And everybody else in front blocks. So, what is going on back there? <laughs> my uh, my roommates have have stormed into the kitchen and are making lasagna. So don't mind the background. Noise. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so people are like, oh, this guy interfered with the recipient. Not true, because that's not a problem. Um, so the next question is whether the ball went 10 yards, because the defense can't touch it unless it goes 10 yards. Right. Um, so we're looking... <laughs> yes, we are doing this right now. Um, I'm trying to see now the film, because it looks like Patrick Chung might have gotten there a little bit early. So it might have been... Well, you know, can't be sure. Yeah, I, I was saying from my from my initial view of the, the play, and you know, I've I've never really I haven't watched this play too many times. I've watched it maybe a million. Uh, yeah, give or take. Uh, I've watched it maybe three, give or take. Okay. But from my kind of initial view, it looked like it looked like he touched a yard early. So I could I could see where people would be pissed off about this call. Yeah, I think it's tough because they're the best angle that shows when the ball was touched does not show accurately where it is on the side. Like, there's no good camera angle to see, like, oh, this is when it touched and this is the yard line it was on because it looks like such a mess before anybody touches it. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, I can't believe I'm talking about this, though. I was 16 when this game happened, and I remember legitimately crying at this point. Because <laughs> I thought this game was over. Like, all the all the Sooner fans, or all the Sooner players are just, like, doing the whole ear thing back when Onsen was loud and not populated by bandwagoners. Yeah. Um, and so it was loud, and it was, like, really well-known as being, like, this really loud place. Uh... And so all the Sooner, like, after they went up 33-16, Dennis Dixon came back to give a touchdown pass, I think, to Garen Strong or Jason Williams. Um, And then they score... Yeah, then they kick the extra point, go for the onside kick. Um... And then this happens. And it's just, it's so difficult to tell because it's like, I think even today that this play would stand. Because there's nothing conclusive in it. See, here's the thing. Was it, was it initially, it was ruled like that the Ducks recovered it, right? Correct. So it's, it's like one of those things where you're like kind of saved by the fact that there's not conclusive evidence to overturn it. Yeah. So, also, many people don't realize that this review went on for so long. It seemed like it went on for so long in the stadium. Oh, yeah. It feels like an eternity. Yeah. So. I'm even watching this now. I remember one of the, one of the weird things was, is, like, as soon as... Oh, no. That was Brian Pacinger that touched it first. And then Patrick Chung came in and recovered it. So, even then, it looks like this got reviewed for so long, and it looks like Patrick Chung recovered it. Oh, I'm guessing the refs say Patrick Chung recovered it because he slid in, mm-hmm. and because the ref was right on it, saying it was Oregon ball. So I'm assuming Patrick Chung got it, was down, and then somebody else popped it out. But at that point, he had it recovered. Yeah. So, I mean, onside uh, kicks are always just pure pandemonium, but yeah. And I mean, end of the day, Oregon won, Oklahoma lost. So screw it. The history books will forever say it that Oregon won. So it's like the Bush push. I was watching a story about that when it was ten years ago, uh, when USC was at Notre Dame, like a couple weeks ago. It was ten years since the Bush push. The Bush push was ten years ago. My God. Yeah, I remember I watched that from Autzen Stadium. Yeah. Uh, because I had to like. It was dumb. Basically, I had to watch the segment like from Autzen Stadium, like peeping into like a. Uh, a really expensive donor suite trying to like catch their TV view. Yeah. Um, every time I, every time I imagine like trying to, trying to catch a, a peak of a TV that you can't quite see, I imagine that picture of Chip Kelly at the NFL combine with the binoculars. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so like the, uh, there's like a small segment on it, I think on college game day. And, uh, one of the USC guys at the end goes, uh, bottom line, Trojans lost, Irish lost, get over it, we won. I do not care what anybody else has to say. <laughs> Which is exactly how I feel right now. Um, even 
nine years later. Uh, so we have Arizona State this week, this week, aka tomorrow. Yep. Um, two years ago, when was John Boyette here? No, because we played. We played them in the desert. We hosted them last year. Two years ago, we played in the desert. They had their amazing um, defensive tackle who went down um, in the first quarter. Yep. He was... I'm seeing if I can find his name. Um, He was a monster. Like, I was legitimately terrified of him. Will Sutton. That's what... I'm sure that was his name. I kept thinking that was the Husky guy, though. Um, Will Sutton. And he was just like destroying the line for like the first three possessions and then he hurt himself he hurt himself he was injured uh because 300 pounders hitting each other that happens um and at at the end like once that happened in the game oregon just shredded arizona state yeah marcus mariota had a bunch of big runs um i think 2010 oregon also played at arizona state and yeah, I think it was 2010 because there's was John Boyette on the team then. 2010, John Boyette should have been on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I remember him and Casey Matthews picked off. Like Arizona State had like five turnovers. Like they were in the red zone five times and turned the ball over every time. Yeah. And it was still like only. Like a two-score win. That was the one game where I was like, wow, Oregon has zero business having any part of this game right now. If it wasn't for the fact that like Arizona State was legitimately handing this game away, Oregon would have lost. Which, bringing that full circle, that's really kind of Arizona State's thing, though. Is they never really... It's, it's one of those things where people always say, like, oh, uh, we lost it more than they won it. You know, like fans will always say that. Like, oh, if we didn't if we didn't play so poorly, then we would have won. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it's like people who just don't want to uh, acknowledge that the other side did something better, and so they just say, like, oh, it was X, Y, or Z. We didn't perform well. Right. Otherwise, it, we would have it, won. It's like it's not giving – you're not giving credit where credit's due, you know? Yeah. Like, a team just straight up beat you and you won't admit it. You're like, oh, if we didn't have our worst game of the... If we didn't have our... The worst game of the year, we would have we would have won. Yeah, well, that's kind of how sports work. If you don't <laughs> exactly. play well, you don't win. Here's the thing, though. I think Arizona State can legitimately make a claim that that's true. Mm-hmm. Because when... Like, they will play phenomenal. Um, they will play phenomenal, like, for nine games out of the year. Yeah. Uh, but every every once in a while, they just majorly drop the ball. Well, and I, and, I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like this year, I mean, <laughs> well, uh, you know, if you... If you're an avid listener of, of Sling and Quack, you'll remember at the beginning of the year I predicted Arizona State to win the Pac-12 South. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Um, but 
you know, I feel like every year that Arizona State, they're like, they're that kind of trendy, popular pick of, uh-huh. like, oh, oh, this is finally the year they, they're going to break through and, you know, win the conference and make it to the Rose Bowl or make it to a, you know, make it to a big time bowl game. And, uh, and yeah, I think they, it's just kind of, it's unfortunate. Like, they're always like, they're almost, I feel like they're like the Nebraska of the Pac 12. Like, you know, oh. they're always going to be a, a decent team. They're always going to, you know, they're going to have winning year, winning seasons year in and year out. But they're just, they're a team that, like, if you had to pick, like, one team to go, like, nine and three every single year and be Arizona State, you know? Yeah. So this is what I pulled up. I totally forgot that this is what I was referencing. I just... I just read so much. No, I honestly read so much stuff, though, throughout the day that I forget where I hear things from. Yeah. Um, so this is from Bill Connolly's 2015 preview, uh, where he actually says how every fan base has this thing where it's like you want to control your own destiny. And he says, but this is actually true for Arizona State. So he says, average percentile performance in wins is 83%. So it's top 20 Average score, ASU 39, opponent 22. Mm-hmm. Average percentile performance in losses is 21%, which is approximately 100. Average scores, opponent 46, ASU 30. Um, so basically he says, like, in the 10 wins, ASU is a top 20 team and the right. best team in the conference. In the three losses, in the three losses, uh, they are Oregon State bad. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what happens to them. They win big and they lose big. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why they lost to Oregon State last year. And uh, they had maybe, I think they statistically had one of the worst performances you can have against UCLA last year. Like, let me go check out and look what that score looks like. Um, I'm sure it's awful. Because it was after they beat Notre Dame by 24 when Everett Golson was finally like, all right, this guy is just vomiting all over himself. Yeah. They lost to Oregon State the next week, 35-27 at Reeser. They lost to number 11 UCLA on a Thursday night game, 62-27. to Woof, and it was over in the second quarter. Yeah, it was like it was. I remember watching that game and being like, "Oh my god, hide the kids!" Like that, no one under eighteen should be able to watch this. Um, this is a truly rated R performance. Yeah, like NC seventeen, you can't <laughs> even get in with your parents. Um, so. Like, I'm looking at the chart, the uh, uh, the per-game percentile performance, and it looks like it's exceptionally high for their 10 wins, and then it's just the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And their losses, like, it's awful. And so I really think, like, their losses are really because they shoot themselves in the foot. Um, like, so far this season, uh, they lost to Utah by 16 even though Utah pretty much did everything possible to hand that game to them. Um, 
they lost to UC, USC 42-14. to 14. Um, Oh, Utah had a 20-point fourth quarter. That's how that happened. Totally okay. forgot. Um, they were actually close with Texas A&M for the entire game. They gave up 21 points in the fourth quarter. And then Miles Garrett just absolutely going ham. Probably the best defensive player since Jadavian Clowney um, mm-hmm. in the SEC. Like, he's unbelievable. Um, so they're coming off a loss again at Utah, which I think has the body blow theory that Bruce Feldman always talks about. But then they had a bye, so it kind of neutralizes it. So, I mean... This one's tough. Like, I yeah, think if Oregon, I think if Arizona State plays at its best, they're gonna win. But it really depends on if they're just gonna make a bunch of dumb mistakes. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's that you know, it's a thing. If you've you've got to play, you've got to play the full game, and you can't, you know, if you if you get an early lead, you can't you can't let up. You gotta, you know, you can't hang back. You gotta keep going. And you gotta keep pushing and. Um, it'll be, I mean, I, you know, before the year when, uh, expectations for both of these teams were very different than they are now. And I don't think, you know, um, I think a lot of people didn't really expect either of these teams to have three losses in October. Um, <laughs> here we are, <laughs> here we are, you know, um, before the you know before the season started, I I said that Oregon was going to lose this game because it was going to be kind of one of those, you know, one of those trap games that just you know Thursday night Arizona State tough opponent you know tough can be a tough environment, um, but uh, yeah here here we are with uh, whew, yeah did not did not see. Uh, I mean, it's not saying that the matchup isn't as exciting as it could be because it's still a really good matchup, and I think it's still going to be a really great game. Um, you know, if you can have enough coffee to stay awake for it. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be. Um, it's just it's interesting, you know, like seeing where the matchup is now compared to like what we thought it was going to be before the season. Yeah, I mean, before the season's like, oh, which which is this going to determine like who wins the division and everything? And now this like, this game basically comes down to whether Oregon makes a bowl game. I guess the the same is kind of true for Arizona State because they they host Oregon tomorrow, right? Then they so they need to win two games of the next five. Hosting Oregon at Washington State, who's unbelievable all of a sudden. Yep. Hosting Washington, who has the best defense in the conference. I don't care if they gave up 31 points to Stanford. Stanford is a death machine right now. Um, Then they host Arizona in a rivalry game, and then they finish at Cal. That's a... uh, None of those are easy wins. that's That's a brutal schedule to finish the year. I mean, it's very tough, especially when you're Arizona State. Like, if you if they lose to to Oregon, they lose to us. 
because I always say we when I'm losing, so that means I can say it when we win. Um, if they lose to us on Thursday, that means they have to win two between at Washington State, hosting Washington, hosting Arizona, at Cal. Like, all of these are toss-ups at this point for them. Yeah. Like, it's even like, if you say it's, like, 50% for each game. It's like, here we went from, you know, me thinking that Arizona State was going to win the Pac-12 South to, oh, my God, are they going to even make a bowl game? Uh-huh. Because that is not... If there's one thing that I've learned from the Pac-12 this year, it's that the conference makes zero sense and anyone can beat anyone on any given night. I'm I'm so I'm just so confused in general with this season. I text, well, like when I'm texting with people and everything throughout the day, I remember hitting one point Saturday. What point was it Saturday? I think it was when USC was full on just kicking the crap out of Utah. Yeah. And then like Georgia Tech beat Notre Dame. And I was like, I just don't understand. And the thing that like, the the thing about the conference is that if you're talking about it from a preseason perspective, USC kicking, kicking the shit out out of Utah, like that's, that would have been expected. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but then Pac-12 football happens and all of a sudden Utah is like a potential college football playoff team out of nowhere. And yeah. then it's just like <sighs> Pac-12, man. It's, it's, uh, it's Pac-12 football. Nothing, nothing ever makes sense in this conference. Nothing does. It's so weird. And none of this even happens at dark anymore. It just happens. No, it happens in broad daylight, too. <laughs> happens in broad daylight. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just so confused. Like, in general, it's hard to even talk about this game. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Um. Positives. We talked about this last week after talking about the Washington win. Um, Vernon Adams, game changer. Vernon we, Adams, night and day difference. Yeah, like, and oh my god, straight up, straight up. Uh, I was really negative on Adams. I was yeah. like, I, I was think- like, his finger. I don't care how bad his finger hurts. There's no reason for him to get sacked four times in the first two possessions against Utah. And again, if you've, you know, if you're one of our avid listeners who've who've been listening to Sling and Quack all year, I've been pretty harsh on Vernon Adams too, you know. It, it uh, I've kind of taken the stance that the whole the whole finger issue was more of an excuse and I you know went as far as to call it a failed experiment and you know, I Man, after at least it's a small sample size just from the Washington game, but from that game, I stand corrected. Like that, he finally looked like the quarterback that we expected him to be that game. Mm-hmm. And I think a large part of that too. Um, I really like, like I, I, I said it in the pod last week. Like Darren Carrington was my MVP last week. Mm-hmm. 
you know, him coming back from the suspension and just just making big play after big play right off the bat was such a huge spark for the offense. Yeah, it was like he was here the whole time. Yeah. And it's like, like if if a guy misses six games out of a season, like you expect him to be rusty in his first game back, but he didn't miss a beat. He no. was they were they were on the same page from the first drive of the game. No, he balled out so hard. And like it was, it was so weird. Like how can someone just come in and kill it? Yeah. Also, Vernon Adams with the deep ball. That was one of the things I was also missing from the offense is there was like no vertical threat at all. Right. So the defense could basically defend 10 yards deep every down because there's no way Allie, as much as he surpassed expectations, or Lockie, who has not even come close to meeting expectations, is going to be able to throw it like that far downfield. Like that's tough even for like pros to kind of do. Yeah. So there's no way they're going to do it. And my, my, my college roommate texted me this, and he's like, Vernon Adams pointing downfield and calling his shot is my new favorite thing in football. Oh, for sure. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, the whole thing about quarterbacks. It's all about, like, you know, not, you know, don't be too, don't be too obvious about where you're going to throw the ball or who you're going to throw it to. Yeah. The dude's just straight up calling his shot. He's going all Babe Ruth on us. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, like you can't walk on a receiver, have to look off the safety, yep. and he will like he was so good at really going. Really, want to emphasize how well he played because we were hating on him so hard for a while. Um, like feeling when pressure came, rolling out, getting more time, and then basically like, oh, your receiver thirty yards down. 20 yards downfield, I want you to go further. It's like in the background, no, go further. Go further. Yeah. Go further. And then he just puts it up, and Darren Carrington went up and got it. I don't I don't know where Dwayne Stanford went, though. Um, I don't know where he went. I also don't know the status of... We haven't heard anything from Byron Marshall. Like, I haven't even heard if he's out for the season or not. I haven't heard, like, what his injury actually was. Yeah, I... Let me take a quick look here. Let's see. Byron Marshall. Let's see what you're up to these days. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, last, the last thing I heard was, you know, end of the month, most likely out for a season. Oh, really? I mean, that was, but that was, like, that was, like, a month ago. Yeah. Well, you know, science today. So it really makes you wonder, though, how much can we expect? The Washington defense, I said it already, the Washington defense is probably the best in the conference. Oh, yeah. Like, Stanford's is solid, but I think Washington's better. Um... So I would put up 26 and have a comfortable lead until like the last five minutes of the game. Yeah. It's pretty it was, impressive. It was like, it was one of those, it was one of those games where like, if you just look at the final score, it wasn't really indicative of how the game went. Mm-hmm. Like Oregon controlled the game for most of it. They had a pretty comfortable lead and then kind of Washington made a late push there mm-hmm. and Oregon 
really had to kind of hang on. Mm-hmm. Um, and one but, of Washington's two touchdowns, their first touchdown of the game, was like a 76-yard explosion play. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, like, obviously it still counts. Um, so, like, for that one minute, though, it was only until the last five minutes. It was basically Washington played uh, 54 minutes of mediocre football. Which, I mean, can go one of two ways. Uh, that they just needed a few more minutes to play well or that Oregon was just in that much control and they just kind of had a few lapses. Yeah. It depends. I mean, I always, I always go back on that one and, like, if I was a Washington fan of that game, I'd think, like, my my whole thought process would be, like, the whole clock management on, on their late drives. Like, what if they just did have a little bit more urgency? What if they had, they bought themselves a little bit more time, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, I mean, that's sports in a nutshell is you lose a game and you will always think what if. But um, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I will be, I will be candid. I absolutely hate Washington. I hate too. everything about it, but hats off to them for, that was a hell of a game they, they played. And that was a hell of a late effort that they made. Um, and I'm honestly, you know, again, if you've listened to earlier podcasts, you will remember that I predicted that we were going to lose that game by 10 points or so. You did. And, and I thought that with everything going on, that this was finally the year that the streak was going to end. And Oregon kept it going. And I am I'm content with the season now. And, and that just... And I, that was reaffirmed by, I don't know if you saw the latest ESPN bowl projections for the Ducks, but it includes the um, the Armed Forces Bowl and the Foster Farms Bowl. Hmm. So, so that's, you know, that's a thing that might happen this year. Hmm. But, and there was a... Um, you know, I I had posted I had posted the bowl projections on Twitter, and I think there was a very um, there is a, a very valuable comment that I think a lot of people forget to to see when you know if if you do make it to a bowl game that maybe it's not the bowl game that you wanted to go to, but it is at the end of the day it is extra practice, mm-hmm. and that can be a very a very valuable thing. Oh, yeah. Like, if Oregon goes to a bowl game, A, it's going to be, like, the worst bowl game you've ever seen. B, Oregon's going to lose a few million dollars going to it because bowls require that, uh, well, based off the travel expenses and how bowls require uh, teams to buy all the tickets. Oregon's going to go anyways because its athletic director wants to get a boost. The coaches get a, uh, a bonus for getting their team to a bowl game, all that. Um, but the most important thing for the team is getting 15 extra practices for next year, just as you said. Exactly. Like Travis Johnson gets 15 more practices to yeah. get better, and he is going to be the starter next year. Uh I really hope so. Otherwise, we're in some deep trouble. Um, so, I mean, that's the biggest takeaway. 
But you need six wins against in your schedule. You have six wins. We have wins over Eastern Washington, Georgia State, Colorado, and Washington. Of the next five games, we need two wins at Arizona State, hosting Cal, at Stanford, hosting USC, hosting Oregon State. Are you suggesting that we might not become bowl eligible? Yes. Hot takes. I don't even think it's that hot. Arizona State's favored. Cal is going... I don't think that spread can get high enough. Uh, At Stanford, that is a straight-up loss right now. Straight up. Hosting USC. They are no longer a literally drunk team. They will most likely win that game. Oh, God. (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) The realist. Uh, And then hosting Oregon State, which should be a win. But then Gary Anderson... Should be a win is a fantastic coach. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always a firm believer that anything can happen in rivalry games. Yeah. I'll and I what re- happened 2 years ago. Yeah, so quick Thanks, Josh. Huff. Quick quick side story about that game. I I was at that game um, as a photographer and was walking down came down from the press box after halftime and walked past the walk past the Oregon State Tunnel where they come out. And I just remember hearing all this this hooping and hollering and I was like, what the hell is going on? And I looked down the tunnel and you know, Oregon State's walking down the tunnel to come out in the field in the second half. And I think they were actually winning at that point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they were I think they were winning. or it was I think extremely they were winning. close. It was like a three point game. It was like something close, but I think they might have been winning at halftime. And they walked down that tunnel, and I just, I will never forget this. I remember looking down at all the players just hooping and hollering and strutting down the tunnel, and I thought to myself, oh, my God, they are going to win this game because they truly believe that they're going to win this game. And just the way, you know, the confidence level that I saw in that tunnel right there. They were tied. And that's and that's what I loved about and that's what I love about rivalry games is it doesn't matter what the record is it's it's a rivalry game and all bets are off and it's always fun so yeah thanks Josh Huff oh man what a great catch I think it was the I think it was uh, this is a funny tweet I think the Rockets were eliminated well he's. Isn't he from Houston? Yeah, he's from Houston. Uh, so the Rockets got nailed on like a game-winning shot at one point. I think it was a, uh, I think it was a blazer shot. I think Lillard hit like a game-winning three-pointer. Oh, I remember. And he tweeted this, out, yeah. "This must be what Oregon State feels like." <laughs> Because he had the game-winning touchdown in the end zone with, like, no time left. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was with 29 seconds left that Josh Huff scored. Uh, God, that was so funny. This is how Oregon State feels. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't even say that's a slam dunk. 
You can petition, though, at 5-7 and seven to get into a bowl game. That happens a lot. Petition. Because there's so many bowls. There are so many bowls. And they're like... a joke how many bowls there are. Oh, yeah. It's not even a joke. It's like a reality. It's a comical reality. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There were... Like, and people say, like, oh, we should have fewer bowl games. It's not, like, a reward. It's like, F you. I want more college football. Don't you tell me to get one. Why would don't you, you want... Don't you take college football Yeah, why, why are you saying you want to take more college football off? I, I'm here. We have 12 weeks. You give me football every day or I will be furious. Like, <laughs> quit, quit, quit doing this stuff where you're like, let's have fewer games. And the thing is, too, that, like, you know, we, we can sit here and, you know, uh, you know, being being fans of a program that's been extremely successful the past five or six years, you know, we can say, oh, yeah, you need fewer games. These, you know, teams, they're mediocre teams. They don't deserve to be in bowl games, yada, yada, yada. And I've never like, said that. For I want more college games. For the but for those teams there, like for the teams that are in the Foster Farms Bowl or the New Mexico Bowl or you know the those like early December bowls that quote unquote don't matter, some of those teams like that's the biggest deal in the world for them just to be at that bowl game. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Maybe maybe there is a need for God. How many no, God? How many bowl games there are these days? And I mean, at the There's end of the day, let's be real. It's 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 a business at the end of the day. You know, it's a money making venture. So yeah, and there are more bowls than there are bowl eligible teams. Yeah. So if Oregon petitions, which they will, because they want fifteen extra practices, and that means everybody in the athletic department gets a bonus. If um, Oregon has to petition for a bowl game, I will cry myself to sleep that night. They most likely will. Um, <laughs> so, uh, get a, a pillow pet. You can get an Oregon licensed pillow pet. Uh, and because it's Oregon, they're going to get a, they're going to get, uh, they're going to go to a bowl game, even if they get five wins. Um, even if we get five wins, excuse me. Um, yeah, because looking at the schedule, this this game over Arizona State is basically a must win. Oh yeah, kind of a must win. Um, note: Arizona State is having special uniforms for their salute to service weekend, honoring Pat Tillman, who is the uh, former Arizona State football player who like embodied everything they were supposed to be about. Uh, Arizona State football. He, yeah, every I think was it they they run out of the Pat Tillman tunnel, right? Uh-huh. That's like their the name, like they named their tunnel after him. Yeah, because he was amazing. Um, and then he went to play for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and then after uh, after nine eleven, he enlisted in the army. Um, he went and served, uh, over in Iraq, 
I'm never sure how you say it. I hear it pronounced like 80 different ways. Yeah. Um, he was killed in friendly fire um, in some confusion with who was supposed to be in which area, um, which is actually, that kind of happens a lot. Unfortunately, that happens a lot. Um, but larger... Uh, Basically, the governor at the time, like, propped him up as, like, this uh, hero, which he was, that, like, but they propped him up as something other than he was, saying, like, he was a war hero that, like, fought against, like, uh, the terrorists, and, like, he was part of this whole storm and everything, and they were basically covering up what actually happened in order to just, like, keep right. pushing their message, um, which was incredibly false. Uh, so that's really like the bigger controversy around him. But the big part is that he retired from the NFL so he could serve his country, which is one of the most amazing things I've ever heard because you make so much money playing professional football. Yeah. And to like believe that strongly in something. So justifiably they have Pat Tillman tunnel and a Pat Tillman, um, like memorial game basically uh i think all that's awesome they have special uniforms and i really wish it wasn't a duck game that they were doing this for so i could be like really upbeat and supportive of it because if it was against any other team i'd be like yes arizona state you do it this is fantastic i hope you guys win but exactly <laughs> they're playing oregon so i feel i've loved pat tillman and I love, have loved that story for, like, years. And yeah. so now it's, like, kind of very uncomfortable that, like, I'm such a strong supporter of, like, what he actually is, not what a lot of other people say he should stand for. And then now it's kind of like, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, the way, the way I always see it is, you know, I... I I respect the I respect the hell out of out of the military and like all those stories. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really cool. Like the whole like I think the the Pat Tillman tunnel is like one of the coolest things in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because like you know finding a way to to honor him and it's you know it's it's just a it's kind of a crazy story and I mean understandably so with with anything about you know with anything about war there's two sides of the story and there's controversy and there's this and that but um i i think it's really it's really really admirable like the um just the the dedication they have they have to him you know Mm -hmm. um so so, yeah i'm i'm on the same page with you like that's normally a storyline that I want to root for, but God damn it, this week I can't. But not this week. Not this week. Um, okay. I think it's so tough to, like, get a feel for the Sun Devils, because right now they are 4-3. and three. However, 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 their wins are over, it was a 14-point win over Cal Poly. It was a 24-point win over New Mexico, who is one of the worst teams in college football year in, year out. Yeah. 
they beat Colorado by 25 points, and they manhandled UCLA. So, like, the real question is, what happened in the UCLA game? Mm-hmm. Like, that's my question. Yeah. Because um, going into the fourth quarter, it was 29 to 10. Like, this game was done. Um, I'm really struggling to figure out what happened. Like, I'm looking back at the box score of that game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't the game that, uh, no, this is, no, he went out in practice. Miles Jack went down in practice. Um, yeah. And, uh, Josh Rosen only threw one interception. So, I mean, I just don't understand how this happened. Um, ASU had 25 first downs, UCLA had 17. Oh, so I'm guessing it just, uh, Sun Devils forced a lot of punts. Mm -hmm. Like, that had to be it. Like, their defense was just on point that whole night. Um, kind of like so, the, the, the punting fest that the Oregon-Washington game turned into? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exact same thing. Um, so it's just like, if, if it wasn't... Well, if they hadn't beat this one team, their whole schedule would look bad. Um, that's the one thing that stands out, because when they played Texas A&M, they lost. They played Utah, they lost. They played USC, they lost. Like, they're one and three against good opponents. But maybe Oregon isn't even a good opponent, to be totally honest. Maybe maybe we're not a good opponent. Um, it's very tough. And we went over this last week, too, where it's like, if Oregon averages 38 points a game and allows 28 points a game, that means Arizona State's going to score 35 points a game and allow 25 points a game. Yeah. Like, Oregon has... 560 yards of offense. Arizona State's going to have 520 yards of offense. If Oregon allows 460 yards of offense, ASU's going to allow 420 yards of offense. So it's completely proportional still. I mean, this game's going to come down. This is so boring, though, but this game's going to come down to turnovers, basically. That happens a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest deciding factor, but with these two teams being so similar, it's hard to, yeah. like, point anything else out. I think exactly. Oregon has the special teams edge. Royce Freeman doesn't fumble. Okay, so basically it's going to be whether Vernon Adams plays well or not. It's basically what we're sitting yeah, at right if now. He, if, if he can, like, Vernon Adams was on point against Washington, and if mm-hmm. he can replicate that and he, he can prove that it wasn't just a fluke, and he can deliver that performance again, I think Oregon will be fine. Mm-hmm. But if he go, if he reverts back to his Michigan State status, or, you know, where he just looks, and, you know, this was something that we were saying earlier, if it's just, if it's something where he just looks like he's uncomfortable in the pocket, really, and he makes bad decisions, then Oregon can, could be in trouble. Right. Um, they don't have an established receiver. DJ Foster, who was coming in, one of like he's like their Charles Nelson. Um, 
he was like their go-to guy last year. It was like on pace to break all these records. This year he's been yeah. severely limited. He hasn't broken 500 yards of offense yet this year. Um, he's basically been a non-factor. Mike Bercevici has a 58.6 completion percentage, 6.76 yards per attempt, 14 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Mm-hmm. Those are not excellent stats. Like, the 5 interceptions is a really low number yeah. for sure. Uh, I think it was against Colorado. Let me double check. Yeah, 5 of the 14 passing touchdowns came against Colorado. Okay. It's just so hard to figure out, like, where this team succeeds, you know? Like, because I look at their team stats, like their individual stats for each team, and, like, I don't even see where any of these touchdowns are coming from. Um, Oh, they had a kick return against Utah. And three field goals. So, man, I'm really struggling to figure out where they get all these scores from. Um, I mean, it's gonna, like, it's so boring, but it's gonna be turnovers and special teams. Um, well, I mean, that's what. And that's what it comes down to when it's a, you know, it's kind of one of those pick em toss-up games. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's really like when you can't, when there's not really a clear winner in the matchup, it's it's going to come down to who's going to make a mistake late in the game. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, so I'm looking at their win over UCLA. Hey, this is hilarious. They had two safeties. They scored two safeties in the game. Um, team safety touchdown pass to Tim White uh, field goal field goal Mike Bercovici with a 34 yard run DJ Foster touchdown pass team safety uh, and then another running back uh, for a 23 yard run as time expires uh, like and that running back isn't even their leading runner. That was his only touchdown of the season so far. So it's like, I just don't understand. I don't even know. Granted, I haven't watched enough Arizona State games. I don't know how they're how they're winning these games. You know? Because yeah, kind of... no position is excellent. It's the mystery of college football every year. Yeah, how does Arizona State win? the greatest mystery of all so I guess it must be better to just see what Oregon could do so yeah. Vernon Adams he needs to play well if he plays average Oregon's losing uh, oh Doc, I'm I'm on that boat with you if you know if the only way Oregon wins this game is if he replicates his Washington performance if it's anything else other than that then you know, Oregon loses this game and we all go back to scratching our heads. Mm-hmm. I think Royce Freeman, Taj Griffin, I think Royce Freeman, Taj Griffin, and Braylon Addison could be so good just working off of each other. Oh, yeah. 
I think those three, like, in tandem, present so many mismatches. Like, Darren Carrington, true receiver, all that. Taj, Freeman, and Braylon are just so dynamic and so easily... I want to say, I don't want to say replaceable, but they do a lot of things so similar, but they're each different in how they do it. Yeah. I think that's going to be such, they're going to be so much fun to watch. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, I want to say play calling, but like creativity in a way. Like making play calls and this is something we have no control over scott frost is basically telling everybody through the media he's implying to everybody that they should f off um so and it's tough because we don't know like what goes into these game plans or anything and so it's very tough to be like we need smarter play calling but i don't i feel like there has to be something else that oregon can do to be more successful on offense like, there has to be something different to, like, take greater uh, advantage of people's strengths. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I okay. get agree on that. I mean, it's a lot easier when you have a quarterback who can throw it downfield, and that opens everything up. Um, Which we – I mean, that's basically, like, what we saw with Vernon Adams against Washington is, like, all those, like – huge downfield passes he was making. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, yeah, and if Oregon can keep the pass rush with DeForest Buckner, that'll be huge. Um, the bigger thing that I worry about, and this is where I think Tosh Griffin and Braylon Addison will come in huge, Arizona State blitzes more than I think almost every team in college football. Like, I think they blitz on over half of the plays on defense. That could be a cause for concern because I'm, I'm not going to lie. Um, this year, our offensive line has just been a, a flaming pile of garbage is the way to put it. And if you get Vernon Adams in that pocket when it's collapsing and if he goes – again, this is like it's one of those things where like – you know, Vernon Adams was running for his life all night against Washington. The protection was not great, but he was able to make those plays. But if he reverts back to his kind of earlier season state where, you know, he's getting sacked four times a game, five times a game, whatever, like, it, it could get bad. Oh, for sure. But there's ways you can get around it. Uh... Throwing screens, mm-hmm. throwing tunnel screens, bubble screens. Like if take okay, for example, ASU sees that our offensive line is not strong, which it isn't. So like we're gonna just blitz constantly, force them to pick up a ton of stuff. That's where using like running back screens and wide receiver tunnels really come in because it takes the aggressiveness. Uh, that Arizona State would be using on on defense, and it turns it against them. It makes it easier for the offense. But that all comes into play, like, like that's all kind of response. 
Yeah. You don't really want that to ever be plan A. But that's kind of where we're at right now. Like, that's what yeah, exactly. probably should have happened against Utah. Uh, I, that's why I think Tosh Griffin and Braylon Addison are going to be huge this game. Because of their guys that can get the ball in space and do a lot of damage very quickly. So, I mean, you got the receiver, Derek Carrington, you got your power running back, and you got two weapons uh, to get the ball to. You know, that's that's how I view it. And on defense, it's got to be uh, a couple people need to be able to get off their blocks. Last week, yeah. or last game, it was DeForest Buckner. The biggest problem with his defense as a whole has been the front seven, which is terrible because they're like all seniors, and that nobody could get off their blocks. Uh, they have really struggled in pass coverage. And so it's kind of like, well, it doesn't make sense to blitz because you're just taking people away from pass coverage. But then pass coverage isn't that awesome to begin with. Like people are like all the time, like, oh, we need to have, I say this every time, every week, we need to blitz more. It's like, well, yeah. nobody, nobody can beat their one-on-one guys. So it makes zero sense to blitz when nothing is going to happen. So that's the situation. So we'll see. It'll be a uh, it'll be a good game, that's for sure. So you have Oregon winning by ten. Yeah, I uh, I think I even I think I upped that to it was. 40, 41, 27. So 14. That was my final call. I see it being... Again, kind of one of those like late, you know, almost like a what? Almost like a, you know, a, a game that's going to be close for a while and then Oregon's going to pull away at the end. I see it being a 27-24 Oregon win. Ooh. I mean, obviously, I'm going to pick Oregon to win, but I think it's going to be like three points either. It's going to be a one-score win for whoever. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be... It won't be boring. Which is, you know... For years, I was like, man, these games are really boring. As we're just blowing everybody out. I wish Kevin wasn't... I'd be fine with boring right now. Yeah, I would be... Boring boring would be nice for a change. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I have a, a friend that lives on the East Coast. And... I think during the fourth quarter of the Washington game, he said if this gets any like closer or gets to be like if if Washington ends up pulling this one out, I'm just gonna go outside and chain smoke for the next four hours. <laughs> and it's like one in the morning is time. I just I, I remember when, you know, Washington got the ball back with like a minute ten, whatever. And I was like, oh my god, this is where it all falls apart. After you had MS painted the 12. (laughs) 
if you if you followed Addicted to Quack and you saw our our little Space Needle twelve flag Photoshop, um, 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 you know, disclaimer that was the best I can do. It's um, no, it was way funnier than it was. That bad. <laughs> it was just such a bad quality, but but the point remained the same. Yeah, the I fact think... that we got the the fact that we got the the twelfth win against Washington in Seattle was just oh, so sweet. Yeah, I think we had the idea, and you ended up MS painting it in the, at the beginning of the third quarter. Yeah, we were like just like, in case we're... this needs to go up right away. We were up like twenty three to six, and you and me were like texting each other's like photos of templates to use, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, I was like, and then in the fourth quarter when they got the ball back it was like oh god I've made a terrible mistake <laughs> yeah I was like oh my god this is where this is where the sports gods punish me for prematurely photoshopping this yeah for sure alright uh, this podcast has gone so long already again if you've stuck through the podcast with us you get the you get the the blue ribbon participation award. We should do something like if you tweet at me or Sean and you uh, use like Sparky Disney, yeah, write Sparky Disney in your tweet, and Sean and I will figure something out to reward you. Because yep. fun Spark, fact, Sparky Disney has to be the co- the code name. Yeah, because you know who uh, you know the story behind the old uh, or behind the Sparky mascot, right? I don't know. So, the story goes that a graphic the the artist who did it was fired from Disney by Walt Disney. A couple weeks before he was commissioned by Arizona State to draw the logo. Okay. So if you look at, uh, do you have your phone out? I'll message you this right now. Yep. Um, if you look uh, at like a picture of uh, of like the original mascot in Walt Disney, so basically. Uh, the artist drew uh, Walt Disney in a devil's outfit. Oh, Jesus. So if you look at the picture, I just sent it to you, the picture side by side, they're like the same person. Oh, my God, they are. Yeah. It's, it's the same the hair. person. Yeah. Yeah it's, the, it's, yeah, it's the mustache. and then... It's the hair, the mustache, the eye. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah. It's the same person so I mean that's the, that's the legend so Sparky Disney uh, pretty great yeah so they, they changed it around because of the tri- for the trident for like branding purposes or whatever so but aren't they an Adidas school now they are yeah they just switched over they used to be Nike and now they're Adidas right so when they did the Nike rebranding they did like the trident and everything and mm-hmm. so now see here's the thing though is that uh, ASU 
owns those rights. Nike owns the Oregon O. That's true. So, yeah, that's why if you ever see like the Pac-12, like when the Pac-12 made their like their University of Oregon uh, Pac-12 champs hats and everything, it was just like a generic O because Nike owns the rights to it. I remember those hats. I was like, I saw those on TV and I was like, oh my god, those I would, I would not pay five dollars for those hats. Yeah. Um, so, and then what was the other one? And so there was actually an article on Deadspin a few months ago um, that got a lot of heat because it basically showed how the Nike design process works. And the the argument was is that Nike was like, you need to keep this under wraps. You can't talk about this with anybody. Like this all has to be secret. Yeah. And it was kind of like, these are public institutions. A lot of these athletic departments are getting their budgets offset by student contributions. There is no reason why with something that has so many like stakeholders, why this is so private. And that's like millions of dollars are getting put into something that nobody really knows about. And so it was about the, it was about, uh, it was a, a deck that Nike presented to Tennessee, the University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll link to it in the comments or not in the comments in the article. I'll post that and then I'll hyperlink to the Disney photo and everything because I don't think we can put that image in the SB Nation blog. We can hyperlink to it though. All right. We can. Cool. Um, SB and legal that checks out. Cool. Awesome. Glad glad, glad you got us the update. Good. Good. We got that covered. Yeah. All right. Uh, closing comments. Uh, closing comments. I'm scared as hell about this game. Not going to lie. You just said it was a 10, 14 point win though, but I'm still scared. I'm still scared. Um, but I, Vern Adams, if for whatever reason you listen to Sling and Quack, I believe in you. We're sorry, too. <laughs> yeah, we also apologize, but also I believe in you. So, But if you don't perform well, next week we're going to say that Washington game was a one-hit wonder. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> See, there's, okay, my closing comment, there's, there's such a small sample size in college football that it's really, really difficult to get a feel of how things even work. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're watching the teams every day, then it makes a lot of sense what happens. Like, if you're at practices. But if you're just us, and even if you watch, like, every game a couple times, and you, like, follow the practice reports, there's only so much you can find out. So, all right. Well, that's Sean. I'm Rusty. We'll see you guys next week in Amsterdam. Uh, and always remember that uh, no matter what, Oregon beat the Sooners. And I don't care what anybody else says. That will do it for us. See you guys next week, hopefully after a win over Arizona State so that we can be hopefully bowl eligible and get 15 practices. Bye.